that's when I approached you because you do see some crazy things in the news. But I did. I just genuinely didn't know if this was something that could could work in PR or in marketing. And when you turned around and said this was definitely a story, I was like, well, we need to do something together. Um, and I'm so glad we did because it went crazy. It was viral. Have you ever wondered how successful businesses and thought leaders keep landing those big media opportunities and keep the buzz going around what they're up to? It's not just by chance. They're all using the power of storytelling. I'm Nicola J. Rowley, and with over 25 years in the media as both a journalist and PR expert, I'm here to help you unlock the story potential for both you and your brand. Everything starts with a story. This is the Power of Storytelling podcast. Hello, hello. It's so great to have you with us today on the Power of Storytelling. And what we're going to be looking at today is how you start with a story or whether or not you know that you do have a story and then actually follow it all the way through to seeing it become a huge media success. So I'm delighted that I'm joined by a former client of mine, Sahali Dokia, who runs Sahali Events. And Sahali, what was really interesting for me about this whole project was you came to me and said, is this a story? And it was without (laughs) really knowing if it could be a story or how it could actually play out. So for those of you that are listening, you might not be in the UK, but in the UK in 2020, in October 2020, there were still restrictions in place from lockdown of you could only have 15 guests in person at a wedding ceremony. And this is where this story then begins. So Sahali, do you want to tell us what happened up to the point when you came to me and said, Nicola, is this a story? (laughs) Well, hi, Nicola. Thank you so much for having me on here today. Looking back, I think it's absolutely crazy how far we've come from COVID because at that point in the whole wedding industry or the whole events industry, you could only, you know, go to a restaurant and sit with six people. You weren't allowed to even sit near anyone. If you were at a wedding, everyone had their masks on with the social distancing in place. If you were walking um, your daughter down the aisle, you had to wear a mask to walk her down. the. It was all just crazy, to be honest. And especially coming from a background of weddings and South Asian weddings, 15 people was just not not cutting it at all. They're used to the 500 or so guest numbers and, you know, just their immediate family on one side may have been more than 15 people. So it became really difficult for everyone in the South Asian industry to even work at all. And we um, had this client who was due to get married in April of 2020 and restrictions hit pretty quickly before they were meant to get married. They had postponed once nothing opened up. I mean, none of us thought it was going to last that long. And then they came to me and said, you know what, there's loads and loads of drive-in cinemas coming up. Like we've been suggested by our friends and our family, like more in a jokey way. What if we did a drive-in wedding? And, 
you know, when you hear it for the first time, you're kind of like, what? How can we make this work? And slowly as we speak to the suppliers and we got to know how we can make this work, it suddenly became um, much bigger. And we thought, you know what? This is fantastic. We can adhere to all the rules. We can have all their guests there. And ultimately, we just need to make sure that everybody's going to be happy and safe. While I was in the process of planning this, um, I was also, you know, I think we're all starting to educate ourselves a little bit more on how to develop our businesses. And I was recommended yourself through a mutual, I think, colleague of yours and mentor of mine. And I was like, I need to find out if this is something that I can help promote because it was such a it wasn't only going to be beneficial just for this wedding I was working on. I thought for everyone getting married, we'd only heard negative stories. And this could be such a nice like loophole to enjoy your celebrations without feeling like, you know, you've just got married for the sake of it or because you just couldn't wait any longer. That's when I approached you because you do see some crazy things in the news. But I did. I just genuinely didn't know if this was something that could could work in PR or in marketing. And when you turned around and said this was definitely a story, I was like, well, we need to do something together. Um, And I'm so glad we did because it went crazy. It was viral. Yeah. So the way that it all kind of unfolded as we were working, (laughs) you came to me and said, is this a story? I said, yes, but the way that the media works is they like to have things that are different and unique. And this was different and unique. And what was really lovely about it as well was that it was a UK first. So because we could actually approach the media and say, it's the UK's first drive-in wedding, it captured everyone's imaginations. And you mentioned there as well, the, the wedding industry was quite beleaguered at that point. It was it was feeling oh, like it was yeah. really struggling. And we were looking for those positive stories. Now, here in the UK, we had a lovely chap called um, Sir Captain um, Tom Moore, who had already, round about this time, had already raised awareness for the NHS. He'd raised funds for the NHS by, as as a 99-year-old, was walking laps of his garden on his stroller. And it really captured everyone's imagination. But there was a need for good news at that time, wasn't there? I think that was the thing. This was a good news story. No, I I think it I didn't realize how much of a good news story it was until the morning after it blew up. And I, I was honestly, I wasn't even meant to be in the country. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, Nicola, all these people have given me missed calls and I don't know what I meant to say or do, but it really was a feel good story. And I think what was so beautiful was the message that we wanted to come across in terms of the fact that you can still have a wedding that you really want and you can still have everyone that you would like to celebrate with um, was echoed across. And we saw a lot more people doing something similar. I know budgets vary. So it was quite nice that in their own way, they were able to still celebrate with people. So after we started exploring this and, and looking at it, it was just so important, wasn't it? Because 
the wedding industry was really beleaguered at that point. It was really down yeah. on its luck, on its knees and everything else. And it was so lovely to have a positive story. We just had um, Sir Captain Tom Moore. He'd been doing laps of his garden um, on his stroller as a 99-year-old, and it had really captured everyone's imagination because he was raising money for the NHS, which at the time was under incredible pressure. And But it wasn't enough. We needed more positive stories. And I think sometimes when people think of journalists looking for stories, they think they have to be negative. But this one, this one was really lovely because I think it kind of in the national news agenda, it came second to Sir Captain Tom Moore with how it was embraced. It's just that positivity that we needed at the time. Definitely. No, it it was... It was so positive and I couldn't actually believe how positive or how much of a story it was until the morning after it blew up. I remember seeing all those missed calls from the BBC and ITV and like literally all of them. And I was like, Nicola, what do I do? Like, I don't know how to handle this because I wasn't expecting it to get that big. And only after we'd, I suppose, had the story you know printed and I was on these interviews I realized the message that we were really getting across and it made me so happy to see how lots of couples who were feeling really low and down about their weddings at the time took it as inspiration and were able to get creative despite how many budgets or issues that they were facing they were able to make it their own We saw some people who just would have cars lined up as they would walk out of the ceremony so they could just have a wave. It was little things like that that made me feel like, you know what, we made it something. And although at that point we couldn't even see the end of the light, well, the end of the tunnel for how long this crazy journey was going to be for COVID, I loved that people were like, we can celebrate, you know, we can definitely do this. We can enjoy our weddings and we will do the big party when, when it's allowed. I, I loved how much of a positive flip it took for the events industry. And it was such a nice feeling to be part of that because everything else was, oh, you can't dance. And oh, now you can't have this meal because it requires sharing or Everything was so negative and I just love that we were able to do that together. Yeah, definitely. And I think when we were looking at, right, okay, this is, we've got this as a story and now we've had it confirmed, like from your point of view, you had it confirmed for me that it was a story. What we actually went into it as, and this is really important for anyone listening to this podcast, we went into it with two objectives. So the first was obviously to raise awareness of Sahali events, um, because obviously we wanted more people to know about how you could help them and impact their lives through what it is that you do. But also that much needed boost to the wedding industry in the midst of the pandemic. So it was twofold the approaches that we made through the campaign. And how it began was we secured running across two pages in the Times newspaper, the story with a beautiful picture of the couple next to it. What happened next was it was picked up by the Mail Online 
And from there, it literally exploded. And I remember you calling me and saying, Nicola, I'm getting all of these phone calls from all of these journalists. What do I do? And I was like, forward them to me because then I can manage everything for you and make sure that you feel happy about everything. And we are basically responding to them within the time frame that the journalists will need because it's really important if a journalist is on a deadline you have to be able to go back to them as quickly as possible and I remember at the time I was actually on a retreat and I was about to deliver a talk all about PR thankfully this all happened the day before but everyone was looking at me that was on the retreat saying why does she keep walking in and out of the room (laughs) while we're doing all of this and it was because I was on the phone to you on the phone to the journalist working out how we were going to maximize everything and actually grow it make sure that everyone was getting what they needed because the influx of requests was extensive. I don't think there's another way to be able to describe it. And I remember saying to you at the time, hold on, this is going to be quite a journey for the next 24 to 48 hours. And you, I think it was like, well, you tell me, how did that (laughs) feel to you knowing that all of a sudden something that you'd started off not sure that it was going to be a story it literally just exploded and you were in the middle of it all. Like the explosiveness of this whole situation was, to to put it this way, so I was in Turkey literally two days before and had only by chance flown back because it was removed from the exception list. I can't remember what it was called at the time. I think it was the exception list. So it meant if I left later, I'd have to quarantine. We had lots of things going on. I was like, I can't quarantine. So I took a flight back. I've landed back in London and I've had, I think, one night sleep. And the next morning I've woken up and basically this is all over the news. So I'm, I was thinking in my head, I must have thought this was just going to be this very minor little article that gets posted because I didn't think I was going to be required at all. (laughs) And next thing I knew, you were pretty much managing the time of days I had to do an interview or who I needed to speak on the phone to and what points to just make sure I captured because we all knew how limited that time is. When when you're on the radio, it's like you're, you're on it, you know, 2.52 and then you get off at 2.54 and if you haven't said everything you needed to in that time it's a wasted opportunity so I think after speaking to you it made me definitely feel a bit more confident and after you've done the first two you kind of do get in the mojo you're like actually this is what I want to get across this is what I need to say and I quite enjoyed it after I think the first few I was a bit overwhelmed and especially because you've woken up first thing, not expecting this and thinking you have a very chilled out day ahead. And I remember changing out my pajamas and showering quickly. And suddenly I was like on Zoom interviewing somewhere. And there was, it, it was like that throughout the day. So you had a really busy time at the retreat. I was kind of all over the place and taking these calls from wherever I was. And yeah, it definitely made me realize how fast paced that industry is. It's never something I've dabbled in before and experiencing it at this level prepared me for all kinds of questions. 
just being able to speak on camera live that was I think the scariest when we were live on channel five I think it was and it was little things like that that made me realize you know actually this is such an amazing way to promote the business and I loved I actually loved being part of it but seriously crazy and (laughs) I don't really know how to put into words how how that 24 hours went it just was back to back and you just keep on getting calls honestly the emails that we were getting I just remember forwarding you so many things like have you got time to look at this but no it was amazing as an experience and the coverage it got I remember when you started sending me articles that were in India like they were in different languages and different parts of the world and we were just completely worldwide of this one story so it was amazing to see that something like this could explode to that level I think it's that thing, isn't it? It's the explosive nature of it. It it really captured the media's imagination and then it just started flying. So we had, you know, it starts off with the national media. Then, like you say, it starts going internationally and then it became literally viral globally. And I think what was really interesting for me, though, was even that continuation of that day, because you'd initially thought, right, okay, it's going to be 24 hours. And the point where the Guardian contacted us and said, actually, we'd like to run a picture and it goes on the front page of tomorrow's paper. I knew at that point it was going to continue. I don't think you'd quite realized that it was going to continue because I remember having a conversation with you and I'd literally driven out from the retreat. I'd found a news agent and I picked up all the copies of the media and copies of the Guardian newspaper with the with the front page and the beautiful picture on there. And I remember calling you and saying, right, so we've got interviews for Channel 5 News and BBC Radio 2, and they're the main ones that you're going to need to do today. And I remember you saying to me, oh, Nicola, I can't because I'm busy and I'm with some clients and I had to I had to get a little bit stern with you at this point because I was just like no you can't have someone else stepping in as the spokesperson because yeah you've owned the story up to now if you hand that over to someone else in your company it will lose the gravitas that we have just built up over 24 hours and well, you could tell me, you could tell me what that was like. I remember this. So it was my sister's birthday, I remember, and I'm thinking, oh, I've just planned this like amazing day for her. We're going to have a massage and then a nice, like, it was just a really like a sister day. And I'm thinking, yeah, we've, we've had all these interviews the day before and I've done my bit and like, it will just, I don't know why I haven't processed how big of a situation this was but I remember I was like okay you know what we can do both so we were in I mean I don't know if I should even say this but we were in the Rosewood Hotel 
when Channel 5's interview needed to take place. And I basically had to set up a little station in their bathroom because they're so the bathrooms are so beautiful. So my sister's standing at the front of the door. <laughs> I've got my laptop up doing this live interview from the Rosewood toilets. So I was like, no, we could do both. We've got to go do this and we've got to do the interview. And then I remember even the BBC one, we were in this restaurant and I've gone downstairs on one of the floors that were closed. And I was like, okay, we're going to do this live interview from here but I basically started just jotting myself around but I think it only hit me like a week or two later when I saw all of the like articles together you know when you've really processed that you've been on all these outlets all the papers like combined of how many places have publicized this and I kind of took a step back and I was like what just happened and yeah I think at the time it was just all very fast paced and we've just been on the phone to so many different people I think I was just on autopilot and yeah definitely when I took a step back I was like well what what was I thinking how was I going to put a random person on the team just to do this massive interview (laughs) I felt really mean at the time I was just like no I'm having to get strict with you (laughs) no it was so it was so neat honestly it, it was a blessing in disguise and I think, yeah, definitely looking back, it was, it was so, it was such a great experience. But I also think just from a brand perspective, even if nothing else happened from, from the PR, from all the, you know, work that we did, it did just give, give that recognition. Like even now, when any of the outlets have a tropical weddings, I still get a call to ask if I want to be um to comment on something or if I want to just add my two cents into something it could be anything random like the royal wedding was coming up and they wanted to know if I had any thoughts like things like that Asian network ask a lot I suppose because of the South Asian side of things and that's to do with marriages engagements relationships with your in-laws it could be an absolute thing um so BBC Asian network really get in touch a lot more but I think now seeing that benefit to know that my reputation in the whole of the journalism industry allows me to get those opportunities to even be a spokesperson or be someone who can comment on a topic, I appreciate it even more. I think at the time I felt like I was just like floating through this whole experience, not, not processing it at all. But I love that I'm able to now be on their radar and at least I know going forward, if we were to get another story, I would be able to manoeuvre and handle it a bit a bit better. I think at the time when you've done it fresh um, and done it for the first time, it's a lot to kind of take in. So um, this was a great... It really is. It's the processing of everything that was going on. And like you say, everything was moving so quickly. It, it needed that management to make sure that because you could have quite easily become so overwhelmed in all of this oh definitely I think yeah like I said those first few interviews I think because it took me by surprise that there were even interviews to have had um the overwhelm was there but I think once yeah once you're in the swing of it and you've you've experienced those first few that you're like oh okay now I wait and then they'll say my name and I'll start talking and the questions are often quite similar it just allowed you to 
become a bit more yourself. I think the first few, when I listened back to them, I was like, oh my gosh, what was I even saying? How did I even, how did I even get away with saying this on the radio? Yeah, it was actually really nice to also get that practice. So even if anything, just the public speaking practice was great. Yeah, definitely. And just to give you an overview for anyone that's listening to this podcast, what we actually did was 32 pieces of top tier editorial coverage reaching over 164 million people. There were seven UK national newspapers, including the front page of The Guardian, which we talked about. You were on the TV and radio 11 separate times. So BBC Radio 4, the Today programme, ITV News, Good Morning Britain, 5 News, BBC Radio 5 Live and BBC Radio 2. And then we had all of the online coverage as well that followed. And you also had regional media as well. And then there were eight international articles, including Fox News, Times of India, Gulf News. And everything went even bigger because the story was syndicated uh, following a feature on iGlobal News as well. Yeah. And it was trending on Twitter. It yeah. was it was literally, it was the story that everyone was talking about. And I think for me, it was one of those things that I'm used to dealing with breaking stories, but it can feel quite hang on a second, what's going on? And I love the fact that you were sat in the bathroom of a hotel. I'm glad you didn't tell me that at the time. As you could probably oh imagine the reaction. I'd be like, how do you know someone's not going to come in? You've got to manage oh it. You've got to make sure that it's okay. But I just think that also because the couple themselves decided to release a quote through us and fair dues to them. They decided they didn't want to do any other media interviews. And it didn't help that, you know, a journalist turned up on their doorstep and was trying to talk to them through their letterbox. I mean, that is, that's the downside to a breaking story. It doesn't always happen, I have to say, but equally, it also played in your favor to a certain extent, because you became the main spokesperson for the whole story and you were carrying that with you so I guess in a way there was probably quite a lot of pressure on you as well if you were to sum up the whole experience having now gone through it and had that space to be able to compute what it was like for you what would you say honestly I'd just say it was extraordinary I feel like you're on a different high when you're going through it and even now I'm referred to if anyone wanted to introduce me as someone they're like you know the you know that drive-in wedding this is the girl who planned it and I think initially you're still trying to break away a little bit to have an identity beyond just that one wedding but I think now having processed having had some time to um you know, explore so many different events and be creative again. It makes me so proud that this was an event I was able to be part of, despite the crazy weather, despite all the all the weird things that happened while it was all exploding. But I love that this was something that I could 
have as an achievement of mine that we were able to bring this event to life in what was the darkest of circumstances. And I think it would be something I would always rave about. And I also am so happy that family and friends that just threw that idea to them because I think also in these dark times, you can't get as creative. And once that idea was sparked and we were able to run with it, it just made everything else kind of fall into place. What has been the impact on you, on your business? You talk about journalists come to you all the time now. So that's like, that's a massive positive and you're known now as an expert within your field, but have there been any other changes, positive changes that you've seen? I think generally my, and even if you look at my Instagram and stuff recently, I I haven't really needed to market as much. And whether that's um, through social media or other means, a lot of my recommendations and work ends up being recommended automatically through word of mouth. And I think that only heightened after being publicized so solely. The reputation I felt automatically elevated the brand. I was able to not worry as much about business coming in. So it meant that I was able to take on clients that I actually wanted to work with or that um, were aligning with my brand and myself better. So being able to have that selective approach and be able to do the work that you want to do. Yeah, I think from from all the losses that COVID brought on, it did take a couple of years to get back into the swing of things. But I think just because of how much the reputation had elevated it, it definitely made it easier for me to continue in this business. I think had we not had that event, um, things could go, could have gone a different way. But naturally, my name was out there. People automatically wanted to work with me. And I think it just really helped to, to be able to have that kind of backing because it's such a big event to be part of. And this, yeah, this definitely changed a lot in terms of how we were able to do business going forward. And in terms of working with me, it's probably an open-ended <laughs> question, but in, ter- in terms of working with me, how did you find the whole process in terms of being guided through, this is what we need to do, this is how yeah. we need to present it, this is what you need to say in order to maximise everything that's unfolding now? I actually think you couldn't have made it easier. From when we spoke initially, there wasn't really a point where I had to question if I was going ahead with you. My main thing really was this, this even a story or is it not? But I think just from the recommendations I've had, I'd had of you and just seeing what you had done for people I knew before, I think I automatically knew that you were the right fit um, and the right person I wanted to go for um, in terms of helping me with this. And from that point, even when we discussed the the article, I can't remember what everything is called, what the article contents would be, how to like maneuver all these different outlets and interview questions. I think you made it really easy. And I loved the accessibility that you had during that time, especially when it all went crazy. I know we were talking at very odd hours of the day. I don't know if this is something you do for everyone, but I know for, for those few days, I felt like I didn't need to speak to anyone else. I was like, I need you. And I felt like I don't think I could have gone through that experience if it wasn't for someone like you or 
you specifically because it made everything just so clean and easy and it made me not fear that whole side of journalism because we I, I've seen the other side of how messy it can be and not from my own personal experience and I think you always have that at the back of your head and like we said about the the few little hiccups that um, the couple experienced I think we were able to work together really well in a way that meant that we were in, we were facing it as a team and I loved that it wasn't uh okay this is what you have to do and I'm signing out at five o'clock and you're on your own now so I think that made everything so much more enjoyable for the process yeah and that's really good to know but I think what you will have heard from today is the impact that a story can have so Hallie, thank you so much for joining us today on the power of storytelling hopefully that's given you a bit of a flavor about do I have a story do I not have a story? And then if you do have a story, if someone like myself that works in the media environment tells you that you do have a story, it's working through the various stages to be able to amplify it, to get it out into the media, to be able to make it as big as possible. You've been listening to The Power of Storytelling with me, Nicola J. Rowley. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast because it all helps in terms of creating a ripple effect. And I will obviously pop all of Sahali's details in the show notes so you can touch base with her if you're planning an event, if you're thinking about having a beautiful wedding or celebration of any sort. If you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I think that PR could work for me and there are elements of my story that I'd like to amplify. Why don't you take uh, my free PR quiz? It's at pr-quiz.com and you get a free PDF download that will let you know what it is that you need to do, whether you're ready to be able to step into PR and really being able to own your own story.